Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Live It Well podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us. Each week, we invite authors, mentors, friends of ours who have an inspiring message, who are living their life well. And so our goal is to learn and grow, and we want to invite you to do the exact same thing with us. So hope you're ready. Let's dive right in. On today's episode, we had the wonderful honor of sitting down with the one and only Margaret Feinberg. If you've never heard Margaret before, you're in for such a treat today. She's been named one of Christianity Today's top women, shaping culture. She's a Bible teacher and the author of several best-selling books. And we got the opportunity to sit down with her and talk to her about her latest book, Taste and See. Yeah, it's a subject we're really passionate about too. Something God's really been teaching us over this last mm-hmm. year is the power of opening up our table. Right. It's easy to forget it because our lives are so busy. We've got so much right. going on. I'm sure you do as well. All the kids, all the activities right. to forget that we really can change the world around us just by slowing down and inviting people in to join us around our table. Yeah. And it's been really just a beautiful thing as you do intentionally do that. You invite people over, your kids are around the table, you have great conversations, you share a meal, you get done and you go, That was awesome. Yeah. So Margaret talks to us about how to create that environment, how to open up our home with intention and have meaningful conversation around the table together. Yeah. Anytime there's food and Jesus, you really can't (laughs) go wrong with that. It's a great conversation, guys. So glad you're here. Let's jump in. All right. Well, Margaret, welcome to the show. We're so excited you're with us today. It is such a privilege and joy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, we're going to jump into all things, this new book that you've written and your story. But before we do that, I want you to just take a second and tell our listeners a little bit about you. Who are you? Where are you from? And and what do you do? Um, I am a writer and a pastor's wife. and We live right outside of Salt Lake City, Utah. My husband pastors a campus in Park City. And we've been here for the last few years. Before that, we lived in Colorado, Alaska growing up. I, I grew up as a surfer kid in Cocoa Beach, Florida, a mountain kid in Maggie Valley, North Carolina, and a ski kid in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. So all that moving around made me really um, curious about the world, about people, and especially about God. And so I've been writing for a few decades now, and just I've had the privilege of sharing the story of what God has been doing in my life what he's been doing in our generation and what he's been doing in communities around the world. That is awesome. So kind of unpack a little bit of your, your journey that led you to do the work that you're doing right now, writing books and having this impact. Yeah, you know, I was one of those college graduates who didn't really figure out what she wanted to do until basically her senior spring. And I was a religion major focusing on New Testament studies. And I thought, you know what, I really want to write. And so I went and interned for a few Christian magazines and publications and then uh, moved in with my parents, lived in the basement, went to the local library and and checked out all nine books on writing. And they all said 97% of writers never make it. And I said, perfect. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) That's exactly right. That is exactly. Why would you have a cup half full when it could be like 
bubbling over exactly. in, in <laughs> such abundance. And so um, began reaching out to publications and saying, could I write the review in the back of your magazine? Because I knew if I could win an editor's confidence with a smallest publishable piece that I could work my way up to news stories, feature stories, and eventually end a book. So it has been quite a journey. Uh, it has had highs and lows and pains and tears and joys and all the things. Good for you. I love I love the hustle on it. That's a great idea. And I hope people who are listening, yeah. they, you know, because we, we ask the questions, our audience, and one of the biggest things we always hear people say is, I want to write a book. Yeah. And I love that you were like, I want to write a book or I want to be a writer. What, what should I do? And you yeah, just said, you yeah. just, I'm going to start in the back of something and work my way up. I, I love that hustle gene. Yeah. So one of the things for anybody who's listening and maybe wants to write, yeah. uh, we have an online writing course, but people can just enjoy free samplers of that at jumpstartmywriting.com and just will help kind of spur them and spark their desire to write, help them focus a little bit and also help move beyond the barriers because I don't know about you but when I sit down to write it's scaries it's still scaries after all these years that's awesome we'll have to link to that in the show notes Absolutely. so people can go check that out okay Margaret so we're really excited to talk about your latest book taste and see and there's this really great conversation that's starting to build around this idea of returning to the table. You know, in our fast-paced, fast food, eat-on-the-go culture, we're starting to realize we're missing out on something really powerful and meaningful that happens when we gather together for a meal around the table. So tell us how you came to discover this for yourself. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's something that in our fast food, fast-paced, that we are, we are losing what it means to be human. And few things slow us down and remind us that we are human as much as food does. God could have made us to lick rocks and eat gravel, and instead he embedded our tongue with tens of thousands of taste buds and receptors. And then he planted us in a garden, which was full of all kinds of fruits and vegetables of every texture and sweetness and color and delectableness. And so when we gather around the table to do something as simple as eat, we in act are confessing that we are not our own. We cannot exist on our own. God created us dependent on him as our sustainer, but also dependent on one another, that around the table, he too would pull up a seat and that he would open our eyes, that we would have a place where we could know and be known, that we could be vulnerable and be loved, that we could express compassion and receive that compassion. And so that pause around the table, it is powerful and it is transformative. Oh, that is so beautiful. Man, that you are a writer. Absolutely. Good grief. <laughs> writer and a speaker. Amen. Whoa. That was so well said. I love that. And what, Margaret, one of the things I love that you point out at the beginning of the book, you, you say that the meals in our lives that stay with us, the ones that mean the most to us, actually point to something about who we are and what we value most. Can you unpack that idea a little bit and maybe give an example of a meal that's meant a lot to you? Yeah, you know it's interesting. I think that most of us, I, I love food. I'll just, I just, I need to throw it out there. Okay, so right there with you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're totally besties. Like yep. I'm already thinking about what I might have for breakfast, lunch, or dinner tomorrow. It's a problem in a yep. most beautiful way. But I think that when we 
eat together, whether that is in a home or perhaps with friends, we, we go out and we share a meal, that the thing that we are hungry for is more than the appetizer, the entree, or the dessert. That we hunger to have that thing, that that encounter of, of being nourished and nourished in the soul and nourished in the spirit. And so we can have an incredible meal, but if the conversation never goes beyond more of the shallowness of the weather and maybe, you know, where do you work and, and how did you two meet? Okay, let's just be honest. That is a standard question. That is sure. like one of the quick go-tos. That's those are great intros, but I think we hunger for something more. And I think Jesus and God exemplified that. I mean, you imagine the original couple like walking with God in the cool of the day in the garden. Do you not think they were not picking berries and reaching for the fruit and noshing there with God and with with each other? Mm-hmm. And I think today that when we gather, that that is something that we are that we are created and formed to do. I recently went on a little winter getaway just to to get out and to warm up and went with uh, two couples, one whom I didn't know at all and uh, another who I knew. And there's actually, there was a third couple who I knew some and it was interesting, but it was the meal times that drew us together most. And, and I remember spending that first day praying because I mean, when you're dressed in this world with, with kind of new people, you don't know, you're gathered around the table, you've got to get it deeper. I just prayed all day and I just said, Lord, I just want to invite you. I want to invite you into this place into this meal tonight, that when we gather, that we would encounter more than each other, we would encounter you. And can I just share that the conversations that we had and the way that we shifted and we, and we moved, it was, it was so beautiful. And one of the things I prayed for that day was not just that God and the Holy Spirit would show up, but I prayed and I said, God, what is the question that, that needs to be asked in order to crack this open? And the question that came to mind, and this was this was pretty brave and bold, but just to ask people to share, what is their area of greatest need in this moment? Now, that's a pretty high-risk, vulnerable question to ask. And, and I just confessed. I just feel like I'm supposed to ask this. And then, of course, I had to be the one who went first, which was hashtag horrible, hashtag terrible, hashtag couldn't make it stop. But do you know that that time transformed? And so I think that when we gather together and we recognize that there is there is an invisible compadre at the table who wants to be invited in and to lead that conversation, all of a sudden the deepest nourishing of our hearts and our spirits and our lives can take place. So, Ooh, good. so good. Yeah, I love it. It's, you know, you're talking, it's an intuitive sort of thing, but it's obviously it's it's leaning on the Holy Spirit to move you. And, you know, I'm sure someone listening goes, oh, that's great for you, Margaret. You had the guts to do that. But I got done with the conversation with my friends at dinner, and I really wanted to have that. What is some practical advice you would give to somebody in that moment? Maybe even just some, I know you heard an inkling and you asked that question, but maybe some other questions that can kind of drive folks down this path of intentionality and beauty and conversations that maybe they've always wanted. They just never knew how to springboard and get there. Yeah, I love practical. One of my go-to questions right now is simply asking the question somewhere in the evening when the moment it, there's a softening. So you don't start right off the How are you? So I'm going to ask this question. You know, wait until <laughs> there's a little bit of grace and street cred there. But I love to ask the question, where have you seen, and depending on who you're with, perhaps you'd phrase it as a higher power or the divine, or God, depending on whether in their faith journey, uh, Jesus or the Holy Spirit, where have you seen him moving in your life lately? 
And it is amazing when you ask that in a non-threatening way where people will start to say, hey, you know, I've been experiencing this nudge or this thing or this inkling and the stories will start to emerge. So that's a great practical question. Another great resource, if you go to Margaret Feinberg forward slash taste and see, you can enter in and you can get um, some free downloads. And one of those includes uh, memorable meal conversation starters. And so I've put out a complete deck of cards that you can print and literally carry in your purse, carry in your back pocket, uh, keep in your mind or type into your iPhone that you can reference when you're at that at that dinner table and it's kind of awkward and you don't know what to ask next to start cracking open the lid to deeper conversation and more memorable meals. So good. Awesome. Love that. Yeah, I mean, practical, right? Gives people the tools. I love that. All right, well, let's talk about this concept of creating a space, you know, I think environment plays so much into a great conversation and a great meal. And, you know, it really plays more than just us getting full. Talk a little bit more about how the environment sets the tone and the space that we create helps open up for those types of conversations. Yeah, you know, that was one of the things I discovered in Taste and See. I went on this, it's called Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. And I, I, I went all around the world and in our country and and highlighted people who I wanted to zero in and understand the foods on a granular level. So I went 410 feet down into a salt mine. I fished on the Galilee. I went and um, brought in an olive harvest in Croatia, Uh, went and graduated from a Steakology 101 course in McKinney, Texas at local Yokel. And and one of these, and if you haven't done that yet, all Texans need to go there and eat. It is amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. But but in each of these adventures, open up the scripture and asked, how do you read this? Not as theologians, but in light of what you do every day. Mm-hmm. And their answers change the way I read the Bible forever. I mean, so many times I found myself asking, how have I grown up in the church? How have I studied the Bible? How have I, have I listened to so many podcasts and nobody has told me these things? Mm-hmm. And in this process of starting to dive into the food stuff of the Bible on a granular level, I began to see that the the very foods that we eat, uh, it speaks not only of God, it speaks of scripture, it speaks of our need for each other, but it also can begin to affect the the very spaces and the places that we eat. So for example, after spending time and studying salt and the history of salt and going down in a salt mine, now when you come to our house, you'll discover that there are a series of small bowls of salt from around the world of all different textures and flavors. Or when you come in my kitchen, you're going to discover this whole cluttered little corner of olive oil and what in the corner where we where we cook and each of these are meant and just kind of laden in that space that if someone should ask or be interested that that would open up the conversation again to to tasting and seeing God's goodness to to experiencing God and talking about him in new and fresh ways so i think there are specific ways as we understand food as we do these things that we can begin creating space one more super practical and this is not for everybody and i get this but when you come to our house, generally speaking, unless you have a physical need to sit at the dining table, we have everybody eat in the living room. And we eat around this large table um, that is is shaped like a barn door. And I talk about this in, in my book, Wonderstruck, and all the deep meaning in that. And we gather, and people will sit on the floor. They will sit on couches. They will eat from plates in their laps. It is not always the most comfortable. It is definitely not the most sexy. But what we're doing is we're trying to disarm people when they come into our home from what they expect 
to being in a place where they are truly comfortable, where they are truly themselves. And in that place of eating off of a plate, scrunched around a tiny table, there's something disarming that that removes the formality, the expectation. I must sit up straight. I cannot put my arms on the table. I cannot put my feet on the, let's just wipe all of that away and, and create that space. And so I think for listeners, I think one of the really valuable things is to think, how do you create that space? Another practical is when you come in, often we'll have um, a charcuterie board, just a, just a simple board with some crackers and cheeses and fruits and, and some meats so that there's a time before we sit down to eat where people are just in the center of our kitchen, a place which is also disarming, which makes people feel more comfortable. And so as you come in, we ask you to take off your shoes. We're constantly nudging you to, to these places of simply being comfortable, feeling loved, being relaxed in the place that we're inviting you to, which is our most vulnerable, our home. Mm, That's so beautiful. I love that. And you're right. We tend to think of the Bible as like a spiritual roadmap. But one of the things you point out in the book is that there's so much food in the Bible. And Jesus himself was called a glutton and a drunkard. So um, talk about some of the meals that you began to study in the scriptures and what you learned about them. Yeah, I was taken back by the idea right off the bat that I believe that God was the original foodie. (laughs) Now, I know the word foodie is a little intimidating for some people, but but to understand what foodie means, it, the definition is simply somebody who takes a particular interest in food. And so if you have no concern about what you eat, we are all jealous of you. Because for the rest of us, like we are often thinking about it. We're kind of imagining that food or that food substance or what we might have, or we're waking up like we do all the time at 6 or 6.30 in the evening and having that oh ringing hand moment of what are we going to eat tonight? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But even then, we're thinking about food. And so I think that God, from the very beginning, was taking a particular interest in food. When he created the garden with greens and and pomegranates and tangerines, even through the original sin, that story is told of, of it was partaken of through food, that food could have been that thing that brought humanity down. And yet what we see time and time again is God keeps using food to draw humanity back to himself. He does it through the poets and the prophets. He does it through this dependence that we have for food every day. He does it throughout the New Testament where Jesus takes on foodstuff imagery for himself. I mean, think about a God who sends his son, who then says, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd representing sheep and lamb, a primary source of incredibly delectable food in antiquity. I am the vine, the vine, you you know, my father is the vine dresser. We see time and time again, Jesus name and the Messiah, it means anointed one, which is the allusion to olive oil. And so here is Jesus taking on an essence saying, I am the one who will sustain you. I am the one who you are created to depend upon. And when this whole shindig goes down, we won't celebrate with, with, you know, maybe a formal occasion, God God describes that we are going to have a feast with the biggest, best banquet of all time. Even in the book of Revelation, Jesus describes this imagery where he knocks on the door of our hearts that, that he would be invited in to sup, to have supper, to dine with him. And so this food imagery, it is so rich, it is so layered, and God is so committed to it that I think he was the original foodie. And like you suggested, when 
we start to look at food in the Bible, we start to see it pops and sizzles on almost every page. We start to see stories come alive with new meaning as we begin to understand food in antiquity and what it means today. Because I don't know about you, but but for me, there's this huge disconnection often with food. I mean, I, I wish I grew all my own food. I don't. I go to a grocery store. I go to a mass producer. Um, I'm, a, I'm a hardcore fan of Costco. I admit it. And and I buy my food in plastic containers and in boxes and in pre-processed. And, and so that, that, that connection that people in the Bible would have had when they're listening to the prophets talk about food, when they're talking about their food needs, that, there's a huge gap, I think, for me. And that's what I was trying to close in the Taste and See book and Bible study. So good. All right. Well, you've traveled all over and you've seen and encountered, you talk about feasts, you know, the feasts that we're going to have with the Father. But talk about some feasts or some moments that have impacted your life, that have shaped you, like stories that you say, man, this dinner, this moment, this encounter uh, changed me. I would love to hear some of those stories. Absolutely. So one of the adventures that I had was actually based on a a book I wrote about 10 years ago. It was called Scouting the Divine, My Search for God Among wine, wool, and wild honey. And I spent time with farmers and vintners and grape growers and beekeepers. And again, opened up the Bible asking what they saw in these passages. And when I finished that project, I remember people kept coming up to me and asking, why did you not go and spend time with an olive grower? And so this book has actually been 10 years in the making as I have been thinking and reflecting and and, and actually traveled to Croatia to spend time with a family on the remote island of Havar, a family who's uh, who lived without electricity and lived so remote and went out with them to, to, to help bring in their olive harvest with my husband, Leif. And so here we are. Uh, they don't believe in using any sort of electronic or complex device to bring in the olives. They only believe in hand-picking them because they know that when an olive is overhandled, it gets bruised and it can get injured in a way that will actually affect the flavor of their olive oil. And so we are out there eight, 10 hours a day picking the olives. And my husband, Leif, he, he is about six foot eight. And so he is picking the higher branches. I'm picking the lower ones. And we're, we're with a family where the, the mama only speaks Croatian. And she is utterly convinced that the louder that she speaks, the more we will understand. It, it's no bueno. It does not work. And um, at one point, she's, she's doing essentially yelling at my husband. And all of a sudden, she stops and she wraps her arms around his legs because she's a, a shorter woman. And, and our, our host, Natalia, she explains to us the reason Mama is, is trying to, to, to hug Leif and, and is speaking so loud is she wants him to understand that she loves Leif the most because he is tall and he can pick all the branches that no one else can. But as we're doing this work, I remember coming home that evening and looking at my hands and my muscles were sore. I was scratched up from the branches, but my hands looked like they had been at a world-class spa all day because the healing of the olive oil, which is ascribed when we are are suggested that we would anoint, be anointed um, with olive oil, that that God would would do that healing. It's actually embedded in the very leaves and the olives themselves. They have healing properties. They have characteristics of being antibacterial. They have the oil that helps heal. And so in just the process of picking them, even though you would be scratched, you would experience the softness 
goodness and this smoothness and this quick healing. And I think how incredible is our God? Because time and time again, when we look at olive oil in the Bible, we see God's healing nature. We think about the widow who ran out of olive oil and the prophet came along long and said, you know, your sons essentially have been sold into slavery. And if you will just go ask your neighbors for every container, every jug, every mug that they can find and bring them into your house, there will be provision there. And and she does it and, and all of these containers are filled. And that provides the healing, the healing not only for herself, but for her children that they can purchase their way out of poverty. We see time and time again that, that olive oil is a symbol, whether whether it is being anointed. And often the kings were asked in the Old Testament that they would be anointed with olive oil. And it wasn't just a little touch. It would, it would literally drip down their beards. And, and part of the reason that, that the people would look on when the olive oil was being dripped was not only were they the chosen and the selected by God, but also that the light would hit their faces and they would reflect almost having the reflection or the favor of God on them. And then when Jesus comes, he comes as the anointed one, the the very olive oil. And, And when he goes on the night of his arrest, he goes to the garden of the olive press, a place where he is pressed and rise and wrestles under the pain. And it is under that crushing that he produces the healing life for you and for I. And so all of a sudden, when we start to look at olives and olive oil in the Bible, it comes alive in a whole new way. Mm, That's beautiful. So good. Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. Um, Margaret, one of the stories I love that you share, maybe you could share a little bit of it here with our listeners at the beginning of the book. You talk about going over to a friend's house for dinner and thinking you're just going to rush through it as fast as you can and get out of there because you're just hungry and tired. And it ends up being such an incredible night for you. Can you talk about that experience for a little bit? You know, I don't know if you've ever had we've had to learn a really hard lesson over the course of our lives and we're still listening. We're not good at this. And this is it. Just because it's open on the calendar doesn't mean it's open. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. So you look at a week, it's got tons of things, but just because there's an opening, you doesn't mean you should just stuff one more thing in there. But we, we have fallen for that over and over again. And this was one of those where we thought we are exhausted. We are road weary. We are tired. We just, we just want to be in a comfortable room in our jammies. And here we are pulling into a driveway with people that we haven't spent time with before. And, you know, I don't know about you, but there's that thing where you kind of have to be on or perform or all that energy. We are so weird. And I look at my husband and I'm just thinking, oh, do we, do we really have to do this? And get the gumption to get out of the car, walk in the front door. And it was like walking into a different world. There were candles that were lit in this soft, warm, beautiful environment that was just these warm colors. It was a small and simple home, but there was this comforting music that was playing. I remember on the in the living room, there was set out a, a board of the cheeses and the crackers and olives and nuts, and we just sat and we talked. And, and when the food came out, he had taken the time. He was a foodie, and so he had you know prepared this 36-hour uh, slow-cooked roast, and he had fresh vegetables that he'd steamed and he'd squeezed lemon juice from the lemon tree in his own backyard. And it was one of those moments that as we sat and as we talked, as we were vulnerable and as we were known and as we got to know, we felt so 
loved. You know, it's been said that food is God's love made edible. And in that night, their sacrifice and their generosity, we literally tasted and saw God's goodness and formed a friendship that that we have still held on to to this day. And, and it was one of those meals that I will never forget. And so I think the takeaway isn't that that everybody needs to spend 36 hours slow cooking their right. meals. <laughs> uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether you order out from your local restaurant. It doesn't matter if you get a pre-prepared meal. It, it doesn't matter if you're pulling out frozen food. That That is not what is important. But if what you did is procured with love, possibly with the preparation of prayer, with a sense of making the people who come feel comfortable and warm, that it can transform lives in powerful and delicious ways. I love that so much. That just Thank you for sharing that. That stuck with me so much when I read it. And it made me rethink the way that I feed my people and the way that we can make a difference in our community around us just by the way that we invite people into our our tables with intention. So I think that's beautiful. I'm I'm glad that people get to hear that. One last question. You close out each chapter with a simple activity to share around the table with friends. Is there one that you found to be especially meaningful or that you could share with us today? Mm. You know, in the Taste and See Bible study, it's so fun because people get to do this with a short 20-minute video. They get to go through the workbook. There are so many delicious activities. But in the back of the book, you'll find, and in the Bible study, you'll find all these amazing recipes. So it's not just it's not just reading about these adventures. It's partaking. It's serving up. Um, and, and so what I did is I kind of themed these different activities. One of the adventures was going and fishing on the Galilee. And um, it was an incredible experience. But I remember toward the end of that, looking out at the Galilee and and just zeroing in that of all of the places where Jesus could have focused his his life, he chose this relatively small lake shaped like a harp. And and that was where he performed so many of his miracles and lived his life. And so when you sit on the Galilee, if you ever travel to Israel, you can look around and you can kind of estimate in rough, you know, this is where Jesus walked on water. This is where Jesus calmed the storm. This is where Jesus up in the hills, you know, possibly taught the Sermon on the Mount. This is where, and so you're literally surrounded by these miracles. And one of my favorite activities is I've provided um, in the chapter a description, and then you can go to the website and download this, this map of the Galilee and this challenge for the people around the table to simply think about what, what miracles that they have seen in the coast of their own lives. Where has God been at work? And it's amazing how remembering those, reflecting on those is so powerful. Um, Another one that I just, I think is just so stinking fun in life-giving is, you know, with the olive oil. I shared earlier about the healing nature of olives, but one of the activities is simply to talk and ask the question around the table is, where is an area in your life where you most long for healing? And then bringing a small bottle or just a little container of of olive oil. And as, as people go around and share afterwards, just taking a little dab and holding hands and praying for one another that God would bring that healing into each life. And so what I love about Taste and See and the book and the Bible is so practical. It's not just these big ideas or concepts, but it's these things that we can live out around our own table each and every day. So good. What a great conversation. I guess my question is this, what's your ultimate goal for this book, for the reader who picks this book up? What is your hope for them? Mm, My longing, my biggest prayer 
is that after you read Taste and See, that you will never read the Bible the same way again, that you will have familiar passages coming alive in a whole new way, that you'll begin to see the deeper meaning, the deeper context being unlocked through through these mentions of salt and of meat and of sacrifice and of oil, that, that when Christ is embodying these, when he is demonstrating these, when he is living, when he is interacting, so much more is going on. And then the second part of my hope and prayer is that people will not gather around the table the same way again, that that this will begin transforming families' time, that this will begin transforming times at, at tables in public, at church, and in your own homes, that when you come, you will be living with this expectation and the tools you need in order to encounter and experience God more as the people of God and as the children of the King. So good. Love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. We like to close out the show with these three questions. Kind of a rapid fire. Are you ready? I'm ready to roll. (laughs) All right. They go a little like this. What's a book that's changed your life? What's a habit that's changed your life? And what advice would you give to the younger you? So let's start with the first one. What's a book that's changed your life? Ooh, I would say most recently, Food and Faith by Norman Wiersbe. Okay. All right. Um, and then what's a habit that's changed your life? Mm, okay, I'm going to tell you one that I hope is changing our lives. <laughs> so uh, my husband's a pastor. We live pretty busy on-the-go schedules. And we sat down at the beginning of January and we mapped out all of our date nights and our staycation weekends for the entire year Ooh. with the clause that they are negotiable because life happens, people get sick, all the different things. But we're hopeful that that habit is going to transform our lives by setting on the calendar a full year in advance and doing what we can to make sure those happen. Oh, I love that. Doing it. We yeah. are doing that. That's a good one. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Okay. And what advice would you give to the 20 year old you? Mm, I would tell the 20 year old me that God is strong at your breaking point. That at those moments when you think it's all going to fall apart, that it's all over to throw in the towel, that the storm clouds are too severe. That is when you will discover just how strong our God is. He is strong at your breaking point. Wow, that is beautiful. I I need to frame that that. on the wall. Yeah, that's a good one. Love it. So good. Thank you so much, Margaret, for being here with us today. Where can people find you, follow you, get the book, all of those things? Ooh la la, yes, visit <laughs> www.margaretfeinberg.com. There you'll find all the details on the books, links to the free giveaways. You'll also find, I'm excited to launch a podcast called The Joycast. So right. that's just released, and I think people will enjoy that as well. Awesome. That's so great. Well, thank you for doing what you do and, and being faithful to what God's put on your heart and writing these books, and specifically this book. I think it's going to help a lot of people to slow down and encounter God across the table from people that he is wanting to impact and even impact their lives. Thanks so much. Such a great conversation. Love this book. It really is transforming lives when we can slow down and really practice this idea of gathering around the table with our friends and our neighbors and Jesus and see what God's up to. Absolutely. So let's all commit together Mm -hmm. this week. Reach out to someone. Maybe it's your neighbor you've been meaning to invite over or a family member or a friend from church, someone you're wanting to get to know. 
invite them over, open up your table. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just take a step in that direction and see what God will do around your table. And you can invite the gravies. There's seven of us. <laughs> There's, there are seven, so you better get ready. It's a lot of food. A lot of food to feed gravies. this family. All right, guys. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't had a chance yet, subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast. And of course, you can share. It would mean so much to us. And it's been so fun hearing from so many of you who are enjoying the episodes. We love hearing from you on our social media and over at our website, letsliveitwell.com. So come find us over there and let us know what you got out of this episode. All right, guys. Well, summer is getting close. It is. Get ready. Get your tables ready. Get ready for some fun. (laughs) And uh, we're having a blast with these. But we're going to wrap up today's episode like we do every single time. Remember, you only get one life. Live Live it well. well.